how many of you might admit to having some FOMO, fear of missing out? Right, how many of us uh, will obsess routinely over one slightly critical comment uh, that was said to us, but let 20 positives go? How many of us have increasing anxiety because of the situation in our culture? How many of us uh, have unwittingly fallen prey and believe on some level the social media message that if you're not an influencer, you're not influential? You're nothing, you're not important. Right? So even these random questions begin immediately to tell us some things about our identity. So Mike, in his message two weeks ago, he, he, uh, it was the message on the Jesus and Bartimaeus exchange. Uh, he said of identity, he said, we all find it somewhere, and we do. Uh, he advocated for an understanding of who God made us, that the God-centered life is an identity, that it's not earthbound or others given. I hope we let that sink in two weeks ago and continue to. He also said that it's disconnected entirely per from performance. So here we are, let's, uh, let's keep going in this vein of things that are so very true. How's that sound? So note takers, get your stuff out because we're gonna bust through scriptures which are the most important thing. So let's go there together this morning. If someone asked you who are you, right, most probably you would describe what you do, right? Well, I'm a banker and the father of two. I homeschool my children and I teach Zumba. Uh, I like to go out for pizza and a drink uh, with friends after a hard ball game, right? And while those things are fine, they describe you, they aren't you. I was speaking in Colorado last week and texted a friend there asking how she was and she answered and then later sent this message. I realized after I texted that I answered your how question with a what answer. So very American of me, LOL, <laughs> right? Listen, this is a sentiment that's important for us to tease out because it's true how much we get our identity confused with what we're doing or what we have. So what is identity? Well, it's defined as the condition or character uh, as to who a person or what a thing is. It's the state or fact that remains the same even under varying conditions. Even one dic dictionary defined it as who you are. <laughs> That's helpful. We all, every one of us, have a hunger for a grounded, stable identity a strong and defined sense of who you are. Psychological research points out that identity is a cornerstone of mental health and wow, 30 years in a counselor's office and I can say that is so true. But it's critical for us to understand in a discussion of identity that underneath that we have actually a more abiding entity. You know what I'm talking about? It's our soul. You're a soul. There's a quote attributed to C.S. Lewis that I love, um, and it says this, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Right? And as such, much of our lives, including what we try to work out in identity pursuits, is driven by the soul level, that all the attempts and desires to secure our identity are actually soul-driven. You understand it's our souls excuse me, you understand that it's our souls pushing us to want value, meaning, impact, beauty. Those are soul desires. And if we don't know they're things of the soul, not of the world, not of the flesh, not of the temporary, we'll take those desires all sorts of places, won't we? Come on, from sports 
to shopping, to sex, to stocks, to social media, to scotch, I don't know. Don't we? See, we tend to take these soul desires to people and circumstances kind of like this, kind of like, okay, if things are good, if, if they're plentiful, they're peaceful, or they're productive, then I'm good. But if things are not good, plentiful, not peaceful, not productive, then I'm not good. Or how much even to circumstances. If, if circumstances are good, I'm good. If people like me, I like me. If people don't like me, I don't like me. How many of us are living that way unwittingly? Because no matter, it's just... It's a fleeting way to live because no matter how hard, for instance, a spouse tries to give you the question, answer, excuse me, answer the question of your value or your worth, he or she can never ultimately do so. You get that? Because he or she's a spouse, not a savior. And try as your friend might, he or she cannot settle your ultimate soul desire for identity in terms of making you feel valuable or worthwhile. Because they're a friend, not the faithful father. See, if we lived from our souls, truly, we would stop unwittingly setting the people in our lives up for failure by releasing them from having to be identity and security givers to us. And taking our identity to circumstances or to the world where things can change in a heartbeat is obviously pure foolishness. Haven't we learned from tragedies, unforeseen terminations, pandemics, that everything can change in a minute, right? That, there, that there's not one single circumstance ever that cannot be completely changed in a moment. Some of you have had these moments and you know what I'm talking about. And I'm sorry. There's only one that will never change or be unfaithful. Only one who can ever know your soul, the one who made it. That brings us to a profound truth from Jesus in the book of Mark about navigating this life. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What, good, what does it profit a man to gain the world and yet forfeit their soul? Society's overwhelming obsession about identity is actually being driven from the soul that God made us to be. But instead, we take these longings and desires and values for, longing for identity and value horizontally, unconsciously driven to gain the world. As in the world's what? Come on, pull it in, make it personal. The world's affirmation, power, pleasure, we take desires of our souls to people, possessions, pleasures, performance, positions, productivity, pursuits, and circumstances, and it will never work to bring us peace. Choose which one of those P's on that list that you know you struggle with the most. Why? Why will these never allow us to settle into the gravitas of identity that we long for? Why? Because it's a mismatch. You are an eternal being. You're a soul, right? And those things are of the temporal. They're temporary. You can never have the eternal satiated in the temporary. Jesus straight up said so. In John 14, 27, he said, this is so great. He said, peace I leave with you. Oh, isn't that good news? Brothers and sisters, peace is possible. But as though we needed clarification, his disciples needed clarification, and we do as well. He says, ah, peace I leave with you. It's my peace that I give to you. It's not going to be yours that you gin up. Oh, and if we're still confused, he further clarifies for us, thankfully. Ah, it's not as the world gives do I give to you. We will never have 
the peace of a settled identity, seeking it from the world. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So to have a secure and solid identity, you have to live as the soul you are. You have to live from your soul and care from it. Care for your soul versus other aspects of you. How many of you, I mean, you look good. How many of you like made sure to eat the, the clothe the physical you and brush the physical you's teeth and have the physical you eat? How much of you have cared for your soul? Even to the same degree that you take care of your physical self. Have you reflected this week? Have you spent time meditating on the truths of God? Have you spent time in quietness at all? Have you journaled? My goodness, what a concept. Have you spent time in the word of God? How are you caring for your soul? So, we got to get this, guys, to this craving of a strong identity. You know, your very existence is a never-to-be-repeated way in which God wants to express himself. Your fingerprints testify to the reality that God only ever wanted one of you ever, 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 ever. Don't you? So I don't, I don't know how many of you struggle with the idea of am I enough? Many of us do. So to that question of are you enough? If God only ever, ever, ever wanted one of you, now I'm no mathematician, but how many of you is enough? And how about to the question of value? If there's only ever going to be one of you, you know what that makes you. Listen, do you mind listening to Psalm 139 uh, for a second this morning with the idea that if I read this every morning of my life, if I had this in front of my face every day of my life, how different would my days be? Can you hang with me? You might need to shut your eyes because I'm going to go quickly. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You're familiar with all my ways and you hem me in behind and before. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Because where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in some depth, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the night become dark around me, the, the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, because you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Right? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was crafted in the, uh, in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So how precious are your thoughts, O God? How vast is the sum of them? Because if I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake... <laughs> still with you. Think about how different we'd be. Why would we be different? Because your consternation over being valuable and striving to feel purposeful would begin to take a back seat to God's primary authorship of his story that is you. So a pivotal acceptance this morning, and this is not to make you feel good, to be honest. A pivotal acceptance this morning is that there will only ever be one of you designed by God for his purposes, which by definition, not feeling, makes you special. Ephesians 2.10 goes, it's great, it says, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. You know what a workmanship is? It's like something you do really on purpose down to the finite detail, right? It takes a lot of energy to make it exactly like the artist wants. That's you. 
As a matter of fact, many of the versions of the Bible uh, translate that word to mean masterpiece. I mean, how many of you woke up this morning, looked in the mirror, and went, oh, masterpiece, <laughs> right? Maybe you take issue with the suggestion that you're a masterpiece. Well, consider this. The earth is situated at precisely the perfect distance from the sun so that the temperature is neither too hot nor too cold. If the earth only rotated 364 times instead of 365, our days and nights would be 10 times as long, making life impossible. If the axis of the earth were 45 degrees instead of 23, the core of the planet would become so hot that, again, life would become impossible. 21% of the earth's atmosphere is oxygen. If it were 50%, a mere striking of a match would set the planet ablaze. But if it were only 1%, we wouldn't be able to breathe. And the same God that did that made you. And in Psalm 149, verse 4, it talks about God's posture to us. He takes delight in his children. He crowns the humble with salvation. Zephaniah 3.17, the prophet continues to be, uh, express God's heart towards us. It says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. He will no longer rebuke you in his love. He will dance over you with joy. He will take great delight in you. Do you hear God's posture towards you is delight? So when you think about how you delight in something, what does it look like for you? Uh, 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 What does it look like for you? So when you say, dear God, what is your picture? Is it, uh, uh, or is it like, where did you get that picture? Where did you get that picture that's not from the word of God? And to the point of identity, 1 Peter 2.9, it's so robust with identity, I can hardly take it in. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. Do you hear it? Chosen, belonging, royal, holy. You got a purpose to deliver people from true who are trapped in darkness to light. 1 John 3.1 might be the summation of our entire message today, so can you get it in your brain or take notes? It's this. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. I love it that it says that is what we are. That's what we need to be speaking to ourselves and one to another. That is what we are. More than anybody's spouse, boss, friend, you're a child of God. And I think we need to remember something about this father that delights in his children. We got to remember when we speak and think disparaging things, you know he's in the room. I don't know that I see any babies here being held, but would you look over the shoulder of someone who has a brand new baby and go, meh. (laughs) So why do you do that to the child of God in the mirror? Because that parent is in the room and he loves the child he made you to be. So in terms of identity, you will never experience an identity resulting in true peace or joy until you, here's the word for the morning, discard yours or others' opinions of you and accept his view of you. That's Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Right? Trust God's word about who you are, not your own perception of you or others. From there, it makes no sense that we would live comparing ourselves to others, more concerned with how many likes we receive than the love of God poured out into our hearts. Amen? Insecurity, comparison, and popularity are show-stopping impediments to a life of longing fulfilled in Christ. 
much less a strong sense of identity. In fact, so very much of emotional difficulty and identity confusion is because of being completely consumed with self-hatred, self-loathing, self-doubt, out of comparison built upon our society, which is literally built on the mechanisms of creating discontent. See the Garden of Eden and capitalism. That's a whole other message. The bottom line is this. The comparison kills your spirit. It kills everything about God's desire for you to live in his truth. So let's take a second. Uh, anybody know what this is, right? Right? We know what this is, right? Okay, so let me ask you a question. Doug, how much is this worth? Okay, are you sure? Uh, Erica, how much is this worth? $20? Are you sure? You, 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 okay. How much is this worth? $20? Are you sure? Okay, so that's what a lot of us are doing this very day, is we're, we're like, mm, I don't have good words in my head, forgive this word, prostituting around for how much is this worth? How much is this worth? How much is this worth? How much am I worth according to whatever your particular estimation of it is at a time? Okay, so how many of you in this room would want this? I wanted to get a 50 or 100, I just didn't have time and my ATM didn't do it. <laughs> Right, but how many of you in this room would want even this? Right, right, okay. So, how about now? How many of you would want it? Okay, uh, okay, how about, how about now? <coughs> Anybody want that? Anybody want that? Yeah, you would. You'd still take it, wouldn't you? Because why? Because the value's unchanging, and yet some of you are in that place this morning. Some of you feel so crumpled and rejected and torn apart and thrown, but your value is still the same no matter the condition you are in and no matter what life is thrown at you. To have a secure and solid identity, you have to live knowing your unique given value, not seeking it. Goodness, Isaiah 43, one says, I have called you by name, you're mine. John 15, 16, through Jesus, he continues the sentiment that God expressed through the prophet, and Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 is so powerful. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And it's a high price, and you're worth it. We cannot experience anything greater than the fullness of union of Christ in Jesus. We do not lose our true selves. We become our true selves. You are beloved children, purposefully and intentionally created, redeemed from the curse of sin and self, holy and completely by a Savior, altogether good in every way, of the highest value in the expression and expansion of a kingdom of light and love that is being forged, lived, and made known in the fakeness, face of darkness in all forms. That's you. Why are we not cheering like we're in an OSU game or something? This is amazing. And that's what's up, by the way. This world needs the you that God made you to be. This broken planet needs you to walk in freedom as a vessel of light and love. Do you get it? Oh, that we could break the cultural press of what do you do with, well, I'm a child of the divine, crafted for eternal purposes, and you? Let's do it. 
Okay, so some ways you can know if you're basing your identity on the fleeting things, values, messages, and mores of this world. Number one, trying to perform for or get approval from other people. Just in general, caring way too much what other people think. Number two, constantly comparing. Number three, being self-focused and self-indulgent, giving in to temptation, having little self-restraint. That level of self-focus is a clear indice of moving towards the world for your soul desires. Number four, being anxious, afraid, and worried. Trust in him is his whole call to us, so it's an indicator. Number five, focusing on circumstances, being discontent and negative. Those are just indices to help you see how much you're getting your identity from the world. So, to this point of shedding layers of identity that you've taken on from external worldly forces, can you please, can we do this? Ask yourself, who have you allowed to author your story? What voices have been the ones that have become the way you view yourself? What influences have shaped how you view yourself and become an identity you now wear? Where'd you get your belief that you're dumb, unwanted, don't fit in or belong, not good enough, weak, can't do it? Where? Where did you get the idea that people who have big emotions are dramatic, that people who look a certain way on the outside have it all together, that quiet people are actually judging you or dislike you? Where did you get the idea that it's not okay to speak up, that your voice doesn't matter? Where did you get the idea that everything on this earth is supposed to be awesome, that it's like some sort of fantasy, right? Where did you get the idea that everyone's expectations are the same, that what's important to you is important to everyone? Where did you get the idea to be scared of the future? Today, come on, right now. Can you get to your internal narrative? Even one that you know is not one you want to believe about yourself. Definitely what you realize God doesn't want for you and is likely part of hell's scheme against you. Come on, can we do it? What layers of identity have you taken on from external worldly forces do you need to shed right now, today, once and for all? Go fishing for them right now. What is a lie you're going to stop living in today? a word from someone in your life, a shame-based force, stopping you from living in security and being fully free and unafraid to dispense the love and light of Jesus in every way possible. It's time for freedom from the incessant worry and stress of living under some false identity. Are you there? Are you there? Can we do it today? It's time, brothers and sisters, in the faith to excavate this out and replace it with the truth of God in the deepest place. Psalm 51, 6 says, you desire truth in the inner parts, wisdom in the inmost place. It's time for that. Psalm 23, 7, a secondary translation of the NIV says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If deep inside you think I am so stupid and always failing, so you shall be. If deep inside you think I am holy because I've been purchased by God for a purpose beyond this temporal, so you shall be. It's time to do what these scriptures tell us. It's time to set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is it. This is so great. When your identity becomes hidden, listen, or rooted in the revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done, you can live life to its truest, not distracted by whatever cultural momentary message that are messages that are dictating the way you live. When you hide your identity in Christ, it's not hidden from others, but it's protected by Christ. What does it mean to have your identity hidden in Christ? Well, Rick, Le Rick Warren, the, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, um, one of the best-selling books of all time, he said that that means that you abandon any image of yourself that is not from God, that you start believing what God says about you. 
Finding your identity in Christ means you do a better job believing what God says about you is truer than what anyone, including yourself, does. So when you're tempted to believe that you're either better than you really are or much worse than you really are, look to what the Bible says about you. The bottom line is, in Jesus, we do not lose our true selves, but we become our true selves. God made us who we are so we could make known who he is. Our identity is something that's given to us. It's not something that we earn or build. Hey, can you look at a lengthy but incredible quote with, with me that uh, Tony Evans gave us, and it just encaptures so much of what we're talking about today. Can we do it? So look at it with me. The great tragedy today is that we don't have enough Christians who know who they are. They may be genuine believers, but their faith is just another addition to their portfolio. When it comes to the bottom line, they define themselves in terms of their name, their job, their possessions, or the people they know. If someone asks you who you are, and nowhere in the conversation did the name of Jesus or the kingdom of God come up, you are a confused Christian. As a member of the kingdom, your identity is tied to Christ. There should be no way to talk about you and not talk about him. In other words, the term Christian should not be just a title. It is to be your identification, just like your name. Being a follower of Christ is the essence of who you are. I was so convicted by this yesterday on the plane on the way home, sat next to a beautiful young woman, and within one sentence, she, the name of Jesus had come out of her mouth. And I was like, I'm giving a message on identity tomorrow, and I don't even think I ever have had my first sentence have the name of Jesus in it when talking to a stranger. Okay, so where are we? If you forfeit your soul by buying into what the world says you need to do and become, if you become rich, successful, the friend your friends wanted, the party giver that got you status, you forfeit the things that make you uniquely you. You occlude God's glory in your life by putting all sorts of shallowness in front of it. You thwart the free and flowing presence of the Spirit of God through you by your angsty pursuit of security through some fundamentally flawed things like people and circumstances. And in the day-to-day process of these death by a thousand paper cuts of pursuits, we forfeit the beautiful soul God made in the you he made you to be and the you that he loves who you are. So forfeiting the soul, I know of a woman who just wanted to feel special and beautiful the way she thought her daddy should have made her feel when she, and he never did. So she married dutifully and what she thought was settling, but that desire for feeling special and beautiful kept pushing through. And we all know marriage can't ultimately fix those things. It pushed until she finally got it met through the other man and she willingly gave away her family for it. And man after man and a lifetime later, she lives alone now, often speaking of only wanting that family that she threw away so long ago. I know of a person who wanted to feel different than this skinny little sibling. So he pursued a lifetime of influence. He would railroad, step on, and use people in the process. He got there. People, uh, they, they, uh, they noted his every move, but a shattered family and society that chews you up and moves on quickly left irreparable damage to the people in his wake and the very influence and reputation that he pursued. I know of a person who hated her body so hated her, abused and non-conforming to fleetal societal messages about what beauty is, body, that for years she herself abused it. Then she got the resources to make it what she wanted, and she did through a lot of time in surgical offices. She now checks every box for the cultural aspect of beauty. Has the misery changed? Nope. Has the eternal cacophony of self-condemning words stopped? Nope. After all this time and money, having obtained 
a 20-year obsession, she is devastated to realize it wasn't worth it. For all these, how many lost moments of connection, beauty, love, serving, enjoying God, bringing joy to others. How many moments where peace could have been possible? How? By enjoying who they were, what they had, the place their natural proclivities and capabilities took them, and certainly the power of having a greater purpose, being part of eternal purposes. The story of Bartimaeus showed us that Jesus invited him to throw away worldly identity and follow Christ. Child of God, we are being given the same invitation today and every day of our lives. Do you actually believe these things of God? Do you? Do you actually believe them? You know what it is to believe. You know what faith is, right? Faith is putting your whole self in something. You people who came in here and just flopped yourselves down in the chair, you're distributing a ton of faith. I didn't see anybody examine the chair before they plopped their whole self into it. We are demonstrating faith in the I-beams of this building, every one of us, because we put our whole self in it. I have a lot of faith in the elastic of my undergarments right now. Because <laughs> 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 we put our whole self in something. Are you today going to put your whole self in these eternal truths of God that will outlast anything temporary? Let's put our whole self in it. So let's try to make it practical. And so I hope to this point you have some working knowledge of nutrition. I'm assuming it. So from here on out, what do we do when we receive a compliment? It's not meant to be identity food. Instead, like a refreshing treat. It's meant to be enjoyable, not sustenance. It's more like sugar or sweet, right? So if you get an enviable promotion, chew it like a piece of gum. It's refreshing. It's nice. But it's not intended to be identity sustenance. Just for a fresh minute. It's just a fresh minute. That's compliments. Criticisms. Okay, it's something that you learn from, but don't ingest a ton of it on purpose. You'll get poisoning. So think spoiled or damaged food or uh, expired food or food you have allergic reactions to. Don't keep eating it. That's criticism. Culture. If it's something coming at you culturally, spit it out. Do not swallow it. Do not even put it in your mouth. Throw it out. Do not consume it. I want you to think rat poison, dirt, garbage. Clarity. Okay, that's something that's good for you. It's a little bit like looking in a mirror. It's a little bit like a really good, so sober piece of uh, feedback to you or even your own perspicuity on yourself. That's good. It's, it's something good for you, but not necessarily super enjoyable, but included in your diet. So I don't know what it is for you. Think maybe like broccoli, like kale, like... Brussels sprouts, like, I don't know, beets. So that's clarity. Put a, keep a portion of it in your life. But here's your feast. Your feast is what's correct, what's credible, the truth of God. That's your most healthy, fueling thing to ingest daily, over and over again. It's like protein, uh, fresh fruit and vegetables, water, water. Your body cannot survive without water. Your body can't survive without the living water of God's truth. It cannot. So your identity will not survive unless you feast upon the truth of God's word daily and take that living water in. So let's review. Compliment, taste it only. Mmm, yum. Okay? Criticism, do not swallow it. Culture, throw it away. Clarity, oh yeah, take a healthy portion of that good feedback. Correct, credible truth of God every day, over and over, in abundance. It is your life. It is your fuel. All right, so let's tease it out for a second. As an, empl an employer, excuse me, lets you go with some flimsy rationale. 
and you start spinning. What do you do? Eat some protein. You're too dizzy from dehydration. Drink water and eat true sustenance. Okay? All right? How about this? A friend lets you know that you're their only confidant on the very same day that you got the most likes ever on a post you posted or views of TikTok. What do you do? What do you do? Do not eat that much sugar. Pair it with a protein or else you'll get sick and foggy-headed and weak. Seriously, true, right? We have to keep nurturing our souls with what is correct and credible. Otherwise, we lose our health. And honestly, eventually, our life, we forfeit our souls. And we get a choice. You and I get a choice every day. Are you going to keep living on that which is actually soul sustenance or something else? Potentially, even something making you sick. What good is it for a person to gain the whole world and forfeit the soul God made you to be? So listen to your soul and live from there. So from this moment on, from this day forward, can we answer the question, who are you with, I'm a child of God, eternal being, made on purpose, by purpose, completely forgiven by a grace-filled Savior for whom I live and who lives in me? No disrespect, but that was pathetic. <laughs> Band, come on up. From this day forward, are you going to be able to live, literally, it doesn't matter what you think of you and how you feel about you on a given moment, nor what the world thinks of you or how the world feels about you on a given moment. What's your answer to who I am? What's your resting narrative about yourself that every marvel flows back to? I'm a child of God, eternal being, made on purpose for a purpose, completely forgiven by a grace-filled Savior for whom I live and who lives in me. Can we do that? Can we? Yes, 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 that's true. That's our lives. That is our lives. This is not just hype. You keep reading the word of God and you will never stray from that reality. Get the word of God in you. Get the word of God around you. 